When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it! Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we're talking about the Texas A&M game. Um, more specifically, where would the Buffs be if they had won that game? Uh, first half of the show, we're going to talk about the game itself because, again, I just rewatched it, and you know it's been it's been quite a day. It's been quite a day. You know, you like wake up. Like, I knew I had the draft pot at 10, so I was like, okay, let's get started on the, the this game, see if we can get some notes up. I got through the first quarter. I thought I'd get so much further. Like, you see that there's a one-hour cut-up of the game on YouTube where it's like, oh, yeah, every play, nothing in between. We're going to fly through this. But then you get into it, and it's like, well, oh, the run to the left didn't work. Why did the run to the left not work? Let's watch again. And you watch again. It's like, oh, well, you're running behind Jake Wiley, and... Jake Wiley is blocking DeMarvin Leal. And DeMarvin Leal is the best football player, one of the best defensive linemen in the country. Jake Wiley is a freshman. So what do you expect to happen? Well, that adds up. What else is going on? So you watch it again. It's like, oh, well, they, there was another kind of three technique. Somebody lined up over the guard, um, and it's zone run to the left. So the guard goes up to the second level. So the center has to kind of try to get that reach block in there, get out in front of him, Um you got to rewatch that a couple times, and then you're like, oh, well, they both got beat, and now here we are. Aren't things so fun? Um, so you wind up watching every play of this game over and over and over again, and it takes, uh, it takes a minute. It takes a minute. Um, so there you go. My, I said Jake Wiley at left tackle. He's actually a right tackle. Um, which is a weird thing in that game. A weird thing in that game. He was left tackle first game, right tackle second game, split in the third game. We'll dig into that in the third game. Um, but, um, yeah, so went back, watched Texas A&M game, had the draft podcast, subbed on TDSP, subbed on bets, recorded another video thing because a coworker has COVID, so I did that. And uh, what else even happened? There was more that was going on too. But just throughout the day, just going chunks and chunks and chunks and finished writing about it. And now it's 9 o'clock. 
and I get to spend my Friday night talking about what was so close to being such a good game. And, you know, you go back and forth when you watch it, and there's things that you look at and say, oh, my God, I could pull my hair out right now. There's other things you look at and say, like, I just want to rewatch this play ten times because this is this is perfect defense. It's perfect defense. And, you know, we're, we're going through every game this season, and we'll talk about all the other things that, that happen and all the games that come up and the injuries that come up and all that stuff. But when you watch this first game, and, and you throw in Northern Colorado too. You know, you, you, with Northern Colorado, we talked about this at length, but you have to factor in, you know, the you don't know what offense is coming, so when they get to the 50 on the first drive, you can't be too upset about it because you thought they'd be running some sort of power run thing, not a full-on spread offense. They adjust. They give up seven points in that game. Really impressive. But then in this Texas A&M game, holy hell, this defense was everywhere. Just unbelievable. Um, let's let's just run through this first half. These these are the the drives that Texas A&M put together. First drive, three plays, four yards, punt. Second drive, three plays, eight yards, missed a field goal. You remember that's after the interception that came because Brendan was insanely pressured. We'll talk about that when the time comes because it might have been his own fault. But uh, but yeah, missed the field goal. Third drive, three plays, six yards, punt. Fourth drive, three plays, negative five yards, punt. Fifth drive, three plays, lost a yard, punt. Sixth drive, three plays, two yards, punt. All that put together, that's no first downs on the first six drives for Texas A&M. A total of 14 yards. 14 yards. Just lights out play from the defense all the way across the board. Um, and that continued into the second half. Um, sure, they, they were just a little bit leakier. They obviously gave up the touchdown drive. They gave up the drive where Josh Gustav had the knockout of the ball on the goal line. But, again, that's, say it's luck. Say it's a clutch play. Who knows? But what happened happened. And what happened was Colorado just about was able to upset the number five team in the country. So close. And we're going to talk about what that would have meant later on. But... What a what a big performance. What a big performance from that defense. And it just shows just how talented that defense is. Um, one of the best defenses in the Pac-12. Obviously, going into this season, you lose a, a good bunch of those guys. But you do have to remember that a defense isn't six players. And while it sucks to lose those six players, you need the depth. It's the consistency throughout that group, the the 11 on the field at any given time, um, which is 15, 16, 17, probably 20 guys who rotated in at some point. I guess that's really easy to check. Why don't we just check on that? But it's a... You have good role players coming back at the very least. Good role players coming back at the very least. Now... Can Nigel Bethel take the jump from cornerback three to cornerback one? I think so. You know, going back and watching this game, he is so, so good. And I wish that, I wish he had played the second half of the season for two reasons. First, so that we could see him play and have just a little bit more confidence that he can lock down the best receiver and opposing teams. B, because every rep is a good rep for every 20-year-old out there. I guess he might have been 21 last year. I'm not really sure, but... Point still stands. And by the way, it's 23 guys who contributed to that defensive effort. 
You know, some of them are playing one snap, two snap, five snap, seven, seven, eight, ten, eleven, and then up from there. And it's not six guys who are gone when you count all of them. Um, you know, Curtis Appleton played that one snap. Ray Robinson played those two snaps. Uh, Jaden Simon played seven. Blaine Toll played seven. But a lot of those guys, you know, you look at the key contributors, and I guess the top four in snaps are gone. Isaiah Lewis also played every snap. Um, I am Robin for 58. Nigel for 48. Guy for 48. Terrence for 35. Jalen for 31. Janaz for 28. Barnes for 26. Jamar for 15. Quinn Perry for 13. So, well, yeah, you, you're losing the guys who you look at and say, wow, that was a great play, and, and you point to them. You you lost the, the that guy on a lot of these plays. But there is a lot coming back, and I do think that that's one of the things that stuck out to me was just, you know, Guy Thomas on that edge looked really good. Terrence Lang on that edge looked really good. Niam Rodman was making plays. Nigel Bethel was making plays. I think I've been underrating Quinn Perry. You know, that's that's the other big one coming out of this game is Quinn, Quinn does more than I give him credit for. And, you know, he's even making plays on special teams where he's flying down the field and you're just like, oh, wow, that's that's this guy? Like, okay, okay. And and so I do think that overarching, coming away from this game, the big thought is this defense is really good and a lot of it is back. Yeah, and it's not maybe the players they choose to get back. If you got to pick and choose which ones are back, you'd, you'd pick Nate Landman. You'd pick Carson Wells. You'd pick Makai Blackman. But it is what it is. And if they gave up 10 points in this game, then this year's defense, I can't see why they can't keep them to 20, you know? And and that's that's realistic. That's the average outcome. You know, there's a chance that maybe they disappoint and they give up 25, 27. There's a chance they're better than they give them credit for and they give up 14. Um, but I think that if you had to ask me how many points they give up with this year's defense, say 20. We'll say 20. Um, that's a good start. Um, I guess we might as well keep going with the defense before we dig in with the offense. It seems to be a good way to separate things. But just when you see that 3-4 out there, they did such a good job um, in a couple of different ways. First of all, you remember this is one of those first games they played with the one-gap system, so everybody's trying to penetrate. They were penetrating. Terrence Lang was getting in the back. Niam Rodman was getting in the backfield. Um, on top of that... You know, Texas A&M has a power running system, so there's a lot of pulling. There's a lot of guards and tackles flipping from one side to the other, and Nate does a it, it does an incredible job of of reading where the run is going and getting himself there. Sometimes that means that he's meeting a blocker in the hole and the blocker gets him, but he's able to clog up the hole by meeting that blocker there. Um, sometimes he's there just to make a play, obviously. He had 11 tackles in this game. Eight of them were stops by pro football focus. I mean, you know, uh, giving up half the yards or less on first down. Um, I guess it's successful if you get half on first down. Not a stop if you give up half. It's not a stop if you give up 75% on second down. Um, it's, it's not a stop if you give up a first down on third or fourth. So, you know, first down, that typically means, like, you're giving up less than five yards, uh, second down, it's like if it's second and four, then you're giving up two or less. You're not giving up three. So, point is, those aren't hollow tackles. Those are tackles that are incredibly productive. And that stands out immediately. But also, Quinn Perry. Again, you know, we've talked about this stuff. He actually only had one 
tackle he's credited for in this game. I wonder I wonder if the official stats are different than pro football focus. Surprising that it's that few. They have him with two. They have him with two. But it did seem like he was everywhere. Again, there's some of those same things we talk about where, you know, it's like I said, you know, sometimes a blocker gets Nate there in the hole. Eh, more often than not, it's a blocker hitting Quinn Perry. But Quinn is making those reads. And you wonder if he's in Nate's role if something changes. So I, I was excited by what I saw from him. Um, Isaiah Lewis with six tackles. He stood out a couple times when you look at him and just say, like, wow. He was able to bring that guy down. Look at him get low. Look at him not panic. Look at him try to put some force into it. He's a good tackler. And I think that maybe – I think I'm I'm probably pretty happy saying his best trait is his tackling ability, um, just pure tackling ability. Um, Christian Gonzalez also – I mean, we talked about the, the pass defense. He also had two tackles for loss in this game. He was everywhere. He was second on the team with five stops. Um, I don't think anybody else had multiple. Let me double check that. That's not true. Oh, he actually had three stops. What am I talking about? Guy Thomas had four. Nobody else had multiple. Um, speaking of which, Guy Thomas, also a really great game for him. Such a hot start for him. Um, again, mostly on that edge. Uh, just so big and... There were some plays, I guess, that stand, what stands out is the ability to read the field. So when he's he's playing that edge, oftentimes his job is to set the edge. You know, get a couple steps upfield, make sure the running back has to cut it back inside. Sometimes he realizes he's unblocked and very quickly realizes why he's unblocked, finds the ball carrier, and pursues from behind. That's so important because it seems like, especially college football, you wind up with these massive cutback lanes because guys, you know, either if you're setting the edge, you're standing there setting the edge. You know, you, you don't pursue or you kind of slow down because you think you're out of the play or same thing with the backside defensive tackle, whatever. And there's winds up being a massive cutback lay in the middle of the field. When you're going up against a running back like Isaiah Spiller, who from I, I would have had as my number two running back in this draft. He winds up with the Chargers. You know, he, half of his games this season, he had over 100 yards. Uh, multiple thousand yard seasons at Texas A&M while, while splitting carries. Very good back. Eight carries for 20 yards against this defense, and they were locked in. And I think that that's a lot of it, is that pursuit from the backside. Everybody gets the ball. Um, the amount of energy that they put out there was was massive, was massive and really impressive. Um, I am Rodman with a sack, one of his five and a half. I don't think he had a multiple sack game, so that stands out. Um just consistently providing that rushing ability. Um, yeah, I mean, big defensive effort. Now, in coverage, you know, we talked about the cover one scheme that we were, didn't debut in this game. We saw it against Northern Colorado. Um, but this is where you realize, like, okay, this is this is something special that the Buffs have when they run the cover one. And we're not going to linger on it. If you want to hear more, I mean, there's a big story on the website about specifically in this game. There's uh there's been podcasts in the past, so there we go. Um there we go. I think that later in the game we saw some flaws. And I think that you know, we'll we'll stick with the running game first. I do think that with the running game they were very good defending the run all the way through. Very good all the way through. But they were incredible early on. And you do wonder if a couple of those later drives where, you know, they're giving up, you see a five-yard run on first down, and you're like, that doesn't feel right. 
Like, based on how this game is going, that run should be two yards or less. First of all, credit to Isaiah Spiller. You know, he's one of those backs, the bigger back. They wear you down. You know, you hear it over and over again. That defense, I did think it got just a little bit worn down. Um, again, we heard a lot about depth during the offseason. I think that that's a piece of it. I think that that's absolutely a piece of it. You expect it'd be nice if you had just a little bit deeper rotation. And again, I don't think anybody played poorly. And I know that I spent a lot of time talking about how there were 20 contributors and all that. But I do think that, you know, Carson Wells, actually, he made a couple plays late. He had a big pressure late in particular. Um, but a Terrence Lang, did he get a little bit tired and, and maybe didn't quite get as much push as he did early on? Yeah, I think that that'd probably be fair. And same with most of those guys. I think that showed up in the passing game as well. Um, but specifically, you saw them break with their linebackers in coverage. And Isaiah Spiller, he was incredible receiving that game, particularly on that last drive. Initially caught a little check down, took it 15 or so yards. Um, on third and eight, he had a, kind of a curl route. Maybe it was a little bit ziggy. Interesting little route. I'm not sure if he threw his own flair on it to get open. Um, what, but it worked. Actually, I mean, he didn't get open. Robert Barnes was all over him, all over him. Great coverage from Robert. It's a good ball to the outside shoulder. Isaiah Spiller is able to bring it in, and it's a conversion on third and eight on a drive that wound up deciding the game. Um, and then, of course, he catches the winning touchdown. It's that wheel route with Guy Thomas in coverage. Guy Thomas should not be covering Isaiah Spiller. Simple as that. I'm not sure what happened. I'm, I don't remember it happening all that much during the game. Let me see. Um, nine of his 48 snaps, he was in coverage. More than I would have thought. More than I would have thought. This has him giving up another catch, an eight-yarder that I do not remember. Actually, that last one might have been the eight-yard. There was a 16-yarder as well. Now I think of it. I'm not sure. Um, but, again, minor complaint about the defense. Again, I... Minor complaint is that they lost the game because of this, I guess. So I don't know if it's too minor. But when you give up 10 points to this team, that's impressive. And I guess the other piece, you know, they knocked the quarterback out. And and the backup quarterback, he did miss a couple throws. There were a couple drives that could have been extended if he had made the throw. That is totally true. I think there's three throws that he missed that stand out. Um, two of them would have extended drives the other I think they gained the same amount of yards on the next play anyway um, so that's a piece of it but again the other option the starter was Haynes King a freshman who probably would have missed just as many throws and you know it was a quarterback competition beforehand now Calzada's over at Auburn I don't think that the quarterback change mattered all that much um, getting into this offense getting into this offense a little bit Obviously, things didn't go great. Um, you, you scored seven points. Again, we'll, we'll talk. I, I, I saved like the written part on all this for game three. Um, just kind of the realizing that the offense was not good. I, that's going to be a big focus of the, the, the story I'm going to write about the Minnesota game. Because, you know, the Northern Colorado game, you're disappointed in the offense. Sure, they put up 35 points, but they didn't score in the first quarter. And I think that early on, and there, there were too many nervous moments. You should put up more than 14 points in the first half of that game. Still, you finish with 35. You know it's a freshman quarterback. You know that there's a bunch of changes to the offense. It, you can give them a pass. Game two, there's two factors. 
first of all, you're playing Texas A&M. It's an SEC team, and if you score seven against them, hey, that's a great defense, and you could still be a pretty average offense, even a good offense that's early on in its season, early on in its development, um, if this is what happens. On top of that, it's a close game, and you know that they're playing things a little bit close to the vest. You, you know that maybe they could be a little bit more aggressive. Maybe they don't run the ball so much. Maybe they call more play action. Um, they run Brendan a little bit more if things are – if they need more points, you know. And so they, the offense did enough to put them in the game. They didn't do enough just as in a, in a vacuum and obviously didn't do enough to win. Um, one more touchdown they would have. But you could still say – I mean, you're not thrilled with where the offense is at through two games – but we don't know that they're as bad as they were going to be. That comes the next week. Um, so we'll dig into that there. Um, in, in terms of this game, though, both running backs were solid. I thought Alex was pretty good. Um, some, some really good runs. You see the stop and run ability. It, like, stop. Stop on a dime and turn and run another way and get up to full speed quickly. That is one of his better traits. His vision and his contact balance, those are kind of tied for number one. But stop-and-go ability, cutting ability, whatever, it's, that is good as well. Um, blocking. Blocking wasn't great. The blocking wasn't good. Um, there's a lot left to be desired when you see what they did there. Um, across the board. And you did see a bit of a rotation. I actually didn't see what the total snap counts were. Uh... Kanan Ray was the sub. He came out for Casey, right? Yeah, for Casey Roddick. Um, and Casey wasn't much of an upgrade according to Pro Football Focus. It's whatever. Um, offensive line struggle again. Like you're asking guys to block DeMarvin Leal. And, is it Jake Peavy? I think Jake Peavy's his name. Zach Peavy. Zach Peavy's his name. I knew, I knew a Jake Peavy. My cousin did growing up. He played at Montana. Um... Yeah, it's it's not great, but it is what it is when you play those guys. Um, receivers aren't getting open. They just aren't. Um, Daniel Arias did some good things, but not enough of them. Um, the offense did some good things, but not enough of them, especially in that second half. You know, they pick up a first, or they picked up one first down in the second half. Obviously, not good enough. I don't know that there's too much here to linger on. Um, the one thing I will linger on is just some of the decision making. You know, I, I wrote about both of these two that I'm going to bring up here, but first and ten. They run at DeMarvin layout. It's that zone run I was talking about earlier. doesn't work. Second and 14 on the next play. you got Alex Fontenot in the Wildcat with Dimitri Stanley next to him. Massive hole opens up on the read option. Alex decides to, to hand the ball off instead. It was the wrong decision. And uh, sometimes, you know, first of all, Wildcat second and 14 is when you pull it out probably not the move in my book um it works though except that Alex Fontenot pulls the ball and what do you expect from somebody who's probably never been the decision maker in a read option before you know so to wind up losing a yard and you're at third and 15 not the biggest surprise in the world from there pass play dead on arrival nobody open quickly pass rush all that stuff and now you've got fourth and 15 Cole Becker misses a 46 yard field goal if it's a 41-yard field goal because you threw three incomplete passes and it's fourth and ten, does he make it? Who knows? Um, what if what if you pick up five yards there and it's a 36-yard field goal? Uh, I'd bet on it. 
Um, and, and again, it's, it winds up being a three-point game. So that all is not ideal. Um, they also had the big drive where they got down to the five-yard line, and they went for the QB sneak on third and one. Didn't get it. Uh, actually, I think they did get it, but didn't challenge it when the refs called it short. And then they do it again, and it's very clearly short. Again, you expect to make a field goal from the three-yard line, four-yard line, whatever it was. You uh, you also were very close to scoring a touchdown there. Again, I don't hate the aggression. I think in the context of the game, maybe you take the points. Uh, that, that was in the first half. That was when you're up 7-0 still. So I still think in that context you take the points, but it's not like you're – you know, it's not the fourth quarter. You haven't seen how things totally play out. And in a vacuum, you know, it's college football. I like the aggressive call from the coach. I don't like the back-to-back QB sneaks in particular. It's stuff like that that you see and you just think, eh, not not sure that these are the right moves. I'm not sure the, the offensive coaches were pushing the right buttons. Um, but, again, it's really this next week, the Minnesota week, where reality sets in. So, in terms of the game... Again, they led for 45 minutes of it, 44-12 or something like that. Um, Overall, I think you can call it a a good result. You know, losing by three to the number five team in the country, I think you call it a good result. Still disappointing. And I just want to talk a little bit more about what it would have meant if they had won in the second half of this podcast. But first, Breckenridge Brewery is incredible. I... uh, I had Breckenridge beers last night, again, because, again, Avalanche game. They actually go really well with the chicken tenders. The chicken tenders at Ball Arena are probably the best food there. Uh, combine that with an Avalanche, it's an awesome night. Uh, also, come down to the DMDR bar tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'll be over there. I'm going to get there a couple hours early, too. If anybody wants to talk some buffs or whatever, I'll be around for this Avs game tomorrow. It's going to be a good time. Um, and, again, Breckenridge beers. That's uh, that's the move, especially the avalanche during avalanche season. So make sure that you are getting in on that. And also, DraftKings Sportsbook. Again, it's just another way to make sports more fun, just like Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, put $5 down on the avalanche tomorrow. Come down to the bar. Watch that turn into like $7 because everybody knows the abs are going to win. Um, actually, I'm curious what the odds are for that game. I'm going to check. But uh, yeah, right now you can bet $5 on any NBA team. I guess there's only two left on either NBA team and you'll get $150 in free bets regardless of whether your bet works out or not. Uh, it's an awesome promotion for new users. So definitely get in on that. And remember to use the code DNVR to take advantage of that. Um, must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem Call 1-800-522-4700. And by the way, you make a $5 bet on the Avalanche to win tomorrow, you get 884 back. So actually only minus 130, which is less than I thought. Great odds, though. So take advantage. Come down to the bar. Use that extra 334, 384 to buy a Breckenridge beer. So perfect combination. Um, So... I want to talk now a big picture about this AM game. Where would we be right now? Um, because I think it's really easy to look at it and say, like, ah, you know, we'd still be whatever. Everybody's upset. And, yeah, it's not, that win from eight months ago would not totally change the vibe of CU fandom right now, which is not great just because of the offseason. The offseason was rough. Obviously, there were flaws with the team beforehand. 
We don't need to rehash everything. But again, upgrade the coaching staff, maybe lose a little bit of talent, definitely lose some experience. Um, where does that leave you? Who freaking knows? Um, but the starting point isn't a great spot. I mean, it's a team that won four games, really struggled to put up points, lost a couple of blowouts. What if they were 5-7, and seven, though? And what kind of momentum would they have had if they had won that game? You know, would would the next game be different against Minnesota? I'm not so sure. Like, like it's it's really tough to say that they would go out and beat Minnesota when they wound up losing that game by 30 points. Um, but you never really know how things will play out. And, you know, we've talked about that game before and how it was, what, 14-0? in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, that, uh, that could have, could the Buffs use the momentum to get a touchdown? Would the defense have held just a little bit stronger knowing that they are coming off of the performance that they had just had? There's potential still though. I mean, you probably lose that game by like 25 points instead. Um, it's when you get to some of the others, you know, Arizona State 35-13, USC 37-14. Can you just make one of those can be and I guess still the feeling would be a little bit different heading into those games. You know, if you start with the win over Northern Colorado, you actually pull off say you get that second touchdown, the QB sneak works, the Texas A&M run, it comes late, it's just not enough. You win 14-10. You lose to Minnesota, you're still 2 and 1 despite losing 30 to 0. You know, you lose to Arizona State, you're, you're 500, despite losing 35-13. You're now looking for a home win against USC for the first time ever. Again, I can't say that you win a game that you lose 37-14. to um, You know, you give up the first 20 points of the game before scoring a touchdown of your own right before break. Like, I can't say you win that game, but who knows? And you just look at how things play out from there. You know, say you lose that one because, of course, that's what you'd say. Um, you have Arizona the next week, a 34-0 win. Now you're 3-3. Three and three. This Cal game that you lost 26-3, to three, like, could you have been competitive? You, you still feel different going into that game if you're 500, right? Because that's what the, the, the season's all about is staying 500, getting to that bowl game. And when you look at it, you know, Cal – that's a team that you can beat. You know, 26-3, yeah, but that's a team that you can beat. You're going to lose to Oregon. Um, you beat Oregon State. Could you have kept it close to UCLA? I guess, looking back, that is the most painful part, is that there weren't really any close losses outside of Texas A&M. Um, you know, you lost 15 to Utah, 24 to UCLA, 23 to Oregon, 23 to Cal, 23 to USC, 22 to Arizona State, 30 to Minnesota. Wow, that's painful to go back and look at. That is crazy. That is crazy that things went that poorly. Um, but yeah, I mean, that Utah game was really your closest loss other than Texas A&M, and that was a 15-point loss. Everything else by 20-plus, right? So yeah, I mean, you're not getting to a bowl game. You're not riding that momentum that far. Still, though, I mean, 5-7 and seven looks better than 4-8 and eight when you're talking to recruits. Having that win over A&M, that changes some things. You know, I guess the other way to look at it is what happens to Texas A&M from there? Who knows? Um, I guess big picture, things don't really change for Carl either. I think that you're still looking at this season saying, 
unless the bottom really falls out, unless this is a really bad season, he's he's back for another year. Um and and the year after he needs to win a bowl game. So nothing really changes there either. Um so does anything change if we we flip things around and say that Colorado does beat Texas A&M? No. Not really. Like that's a it would be a great win. That'd be a great win to have on your resume. A great win to have on your resume. Um and and it would it I don't know. It, it's the same thing as if like you you could beat Oregon last year and even if you say like you beat Oregon instead of beating whoever, Arizona. I mean, it would feel a lot better. Oregon State, it would feel a lot better to have that under your belt. It'd feel like you're capable more. I, I, I keep thinking back to the press conference after the game and just where Carl was at at that point because he, I you have to remember that going into that game, what, he's 4-1 and one in the regular season his first year, loses the bowl game, so he's 4-2. and two. Beats Northern Colorado. He's five and two in his career. He just about had a massive signature win that would have made him six and two, and you could tell that he felt it. You know, he was up there, and, and I don't want to say that he was like cocky or confident, or arrogant, anything like that. Um, yeah, he was confident. We'll say that he definitely was confident. Um, but you just can't be those other things when you lose, and he wasn't. Uh, but you could tell that he thought that they could win that game. That he thought that they were close. I mean, they could have won that game. It was a three point game. But where things went from there, obviously a total 180. And and that, you could make a case, was the turning point. I think the, the, better, the better turning point is probably that Minnesota game, right? Because like I said before, losing by three to Texas A&M, top five team, good result. You know, it's a, it's a game of wins and losses, except in college football, you know, the voters are looking at the style <laughs> style points and all that stuff. Is it a loss with flair? And that one definitely was. Um, <coughs> still, like Carl's not going to be excited about it. Um, so there is a little bit. But that Minnesota game, to me, was that turning point where you realize this offense, it doesn't have it. And the defense can only do so much. You know, you see their back just kind of break late in the third quarter against Minnesota, and all of a sudden... Minnesota's off and running. And we'll talk about those games as we get to them. Um, but this easily is the game that I think CU players, CU coaches, CU fans have the most regrets about. By far. By far. Um, and it's a shame they didn't get it. It's a real shame they didn't get it. Because uh, <coughs> who knows? Maybe I'm wrong and things would have been different. Um, I think that's all I have to say. I'll be back tomorrow with another podcast. I've got some ideas. I kind of want to go through some future opponents and that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> we'll dig in with Nikhil Betrand, the tackle commit to Colorado. Apparently, there's some news coming there. Pretty ominous. Not much to read into, but it doesn't seem good, right? You just want to hold serve right there. But we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow, too. Uh, <laughs> and that's the plan. Sorry, I have this cough. I'm not sure where it came from, but it's here now. Um... Yeah, that's it for today. We'll talk tomorrow.